This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, welcome in, everybody. Monday edition of Sports Talk, a manic Monday after a crazy weekend. Hoops, Super Bowl. We got NASCAR now cranking up this coming weekend with the Daytona 500. We've got college baseball beginning on Friday for the D1 teams across the country. We've got so much, so much going on. We're just two weeks away, plus two days from the start of Clemson. Spring football practice, so we'll have that on top of us as well before you know it. But tonight we catch up on what happened over the weekend with the hoops and the Super Bowl. We take your phone calls and the number 888 898 And we also look ahead to the start of baseball. Eric Backich, Clemson, second-year head coach. He'll join us at 7.05. Jim Toman, he is back just a bit outside. Coach Jim Toman at 7.35 to give us his take week by week on the college baseball scene here in South Carolina and around the country. Hope you had a great weekend. How could you not have enjoyed the Super Bowl yesterday? For me, you know, with no dog in the fight, so to speak, I didn't have any emotions riding on the game, certainly didn't have any dollars riding on the game, but it was just fun to see a game that wasn't a track meet. It was fun to see some defense. It was fun to see the officials kind of let them play a little bit. They really uh, withheld their whistles for the most part. There could have been some holding calls, especially on the offensive line, that could have been made, but they did not make it, and they kind of let them play out there, and I thought that was good, and I thought that led to, you know, a little more defense being played, and I thought it was kind of good to see a game that was – of course, uh, close all the way, overtime game and, and relatively low scoring. So I enjoyed it from the competitive nature standpoint of the game and everything else that uh, went along with it being the biggest day in sports in the country. Get your thoughts on that. Uh, I was at uh, South Carolina's two games Saturday and Sunday. The men on Saturday, they took care of their business against Vanderbilt, as they should have against a weekend Vanderbilt team, not a very good team. And South Carolina took care of their business. And now the Gamecocks are up to number 11 in the AP men's ranking. And then the women, well, they, they did their thing yesterday against a truly depleted UConn squad. Five members of the Connecticut team out for the season with a variety of injuries ranging from knees to backs. And these just weren't scrubs. I mean, these were players who would have helped Connecticut. So it was kind of a... You know, Connecticut was playing with one hand behind their back yesterday. Uh, probably wouldn't have beaten South Carolina anyway. Um, and, and the Gamecocks won that game the way they should have, but it really wasn't a, a fair fight from the standpoint of the talent level. Uh, Connecticut only played six players who played in double-figure minutes, and the Gamecocks ran like uh, eight out there who played double-figure minutes and, and nine total who, who played a fair amount. So 
Uh, Connecticut is just going to have to deal with their situation, and they're probably not going to go very far, I don't think, in the postseason with the way their situation is right now. They're just they've just lost too much. I mean, Paige Paige Beckers is a heck of a player, and Edwards is a good post player for them, and Shade hit some big shots as well, some deep balls as well. But after that, they were really, really limited uh, with what they could do. Uh, And Clemson goes up to Syracuse, gets an impressive win. Tigers had a big lead, managed to uh, hold on in the return home for Joseph Girard III, who put on a a, a memorable uh, shooting exhibition for the Syracuse fans who remember him well uh, from his four seasons there up in uh, up in Syracuse. But a big win for Clemson and the Tigers. They, you know, they aren't ranked. They got enough votes to total 85 points, but they're not ranked. They're still at number 29 in the RPI. In South Carolina, they slipped again in the RPI, or I should say the net, in the net. Uh, the Gamecocks are at 45, and Clemson is at 29 in the net uh, ranking after this past weekend. And let's note the College of Charleston getting a very big home win for them against Drexel on Saturday. Big uh, CAA victory for uh, for the College of Charleston Cougars as they still have hopes of um, making a, a good showing uh, here down the stretch of the season and then doing something in the CAA tournament and possibly getting their way into the NCAA tournament. So we got all that to uh, discuss here on the program tonight as we welcome in Chris Bergen from the Bergy Palace down in Sardis. Good evening, sir. Hope you had a great weekend. I did. Boy, you laid out a lot to uh, digest, and I'll kind of go backwards and and move back towards the Super Bowl in a minute. But uh, you talked about the College of Charleston. That win moves them back into a tie for first place in the league. So you can't underscore how important that win was for them, and maybe they've gotten it righted here a little bit. They've won three in a row. So uh, Pat Kelsey's got his guys playing a little bit better. Of course, none of this matters in one bid leagues. The only thing that matters is the one week in March. Mm when they get together for the uh, conference tournament, but it makes you feel a little bit better to have some momentum going into the postseason. And you're 100% correct with regards to Connecticut. That team, if you took Connecticut off of that team and just put any other school's name, they wouldn't be ranked. I mean, that's not a very good basketball team. You you touched on the two key players, and I think Aaliyah Edwards is, is really, really talented. Mm-hmm. I think she's actually the best player on their team aside from Paige Beckers. But you take AZ Fudd and some of the guys they've lost uh, throughout this season. Uh, they're just a shell of what they normally – and you can't be a shell of yourself and try and face South Carolina. Camilla Cardoso not playing regardless. I mean, they're 20, 30 points better than that Connecticut team, and we saw that yesterday. I mean, I, I don't think Connecticut gets past the second round of the tournament because of the way they're constructed. And you could tell that yesterday by what Gino Ariema said. He said, the way we are, we just can't make mistakes – and South Carolina made them pay every time they did. I was impressed, especially early. I don't know how you can't be by Tahina Pow-Pow and getting the three-point shot. And when South Carolina is shooting the three ball as well as they are, and you throw Ashlyn Watkins and Camilla Cardoso back in the middle, how do you stop them? Yeah. And what do you take away from them? Nothing. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they're just talented at every position. And, you know, having Pow-Pow come out and set the tone early, eight points in the first quarter, eight points in the second quarter, uh, hitting those outside shots, uh, that got them rolling. And I thought um, I thought they got some good inside play from Chloe Kitts, and mm-hmm. I think that uh, they, they, they did their normal thing. They won in the paint. I did some number running today in looking at their stats, and, I mean, this has got to be one of the best women's basketball teams 
of all time, statistically speaking, I, I didn't go through and compare them with all the different championship teams that have come down the pike, but they are outscoring opponents by 34 per game. They are shooting overall 20 percentage points higher than their opponents. Three-point shooting, they're 13 points higher than their opponents. They're out-rebounding opponents by 13 per game. 208 more assists, 78 fewer turnovers, 127 more blocks, and 61 more steals. I just don't know how much more dominant. And this is – now, they've played enough SEC games where SEC statistics are influencing their overall statistics – so they are playing in the country's most difficult women's basketball league, is it not? The SEC? So, it has been in the past. I think the ACC probably has a, a claim to that this year. But for the most part, usually it is the SEC. So they are just they're tearing it up. What can you say about mm-hmm. this team? They had the nation's number one recruit, Sarah Strong, in attendance yesterday. You know, she is the daughter of Danny Strong and uh, Allison Feaster. Yeah, Allison Feaster. You know, Danny Strong played at NC State. Allison okay. Feaster played at Harvard. They're both from the Chester, York area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's their daughter. Wow. And she's like supposedly the number one prospect yeah. in the 2024 class. <laughs> so you're going to, if they reel her in, you're going to add her to what is already a, a ridiculous lineup that they have. And this is a, a relatively young basketball team for South Carolina. So, you know, Dawn Staley talked about this yesterday. Uh, her parents that she deals with on a daily basis, she commended them because a lot of the parents out there would say, look, my daughter needs to be playing more. And Go Staley said, yeah, they're right. The problem is they're playing behind players who deserve to play as much as they are. And what are you going to do when you get Cardoso back in the mix? Are you going to continue to play her 30 minutes a game? You may not have to. Uh, with the emergence of Chloe Kitts and certainly the play of Ashlyn Watkins here of late, especially defensively. I mean, the block she had yesterday up against the guard trying to go in for a layup. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's <laughs> she tremendous. Looked like, she looked like Colin Murray Boyles yeah. on, on, the kid, on the kid from Vanderbilt on Saturday. Going to mention uh, Murray Boyles. He was named the SEC's Freshman of the Week, and uh, Gerard was named the ACC Player of the Week. So honors for them. And Murray Boyles just had an unbelievable game, 31 points. His moves inside have become, I mean, something to see, the way he can cut across the lane. He made one move on Saturday. Now, he's a left-hander where he cut left to right across the lane and leaned back with a left-handed shot and banked it in. The degree of difficulty had to be off the charts on that shot, but he is playing well above his years as a true freshman and has gotten better and better. Remember, he missed some time early because of mono. Yeah. So imagine how far along he would be had he had not had to deal with that in the recovery phase and, and all that. Uh, the uh, Gamecocks, according to Jerry Palm in his latest uh, in his latest bracketology, which came out this afternoon, he has the Gamecocks number three as a number three seed playing in Brooklyn against Moorhead State. And he's got Clemson also in the tournament solidly in the tournament as a number four seed playing in Spokane. He he likes Spokane. Um, kind of hoping that neither team ends up in Spokane. You know, I'd like to see him maybe a little bit closer to home. Charlotte sounds good to me yeah, for both of them. really good. He's got Clemson playing UC Irvine as a number four seed in Spokane. And as I mentioned, he's got South Carolina as a number three seed playing Moorhead State in, um, in Brooklyn. So – 
Uh, that's where we are right now uh, with those two teams in his view. That's just one of the opinions out there, but that's as good as, as any. So South Carolina three, Clemson to four. Clemson still remains ahead of the Gamecocks in the net at 29. The Gamecocks are at uh, 45. And um, a couple of other uh, things, and then we'll get to your phone calls. And the phone number, 888-898-2525. That is a South Carolina education lottery. Lucky number for you. How about Greenville High School? Today announced they've hired Jabo Shaw Jabo, yeah. as their new head football coach. That is Connor Shaw's brother, and he has coached primarily in Georgia over the past uh, many years. And now he's coming to take over that Greenville High School team. He's got quite uh, he's got quite a uh, some shoes to fill there because um, they have they have really had a really good football team, a very explosive football team over the past eight ten years. At Greenville High, they played some real good offense there, but he's a very good offensive coach and has developed uh, some quarterbacks uh, during his time coaching on the high school level in the state of uh, state of Georgia. And I what kind of system he runs because he's a Georgia Southern guy, and he was there before they totally revamped their system with Clay Helton now as head coach at Georgia Southern where they continue to run the triple option. And I'm, I'm curious, I, that wouldn't fit what Greenville High School has done over the last umpteen years. I'm guessing he's probably a little more modern as, in terms of a head coach, but I, I wonder how much of the option is still in his uh, repertoire knowing that's what he ran in college. I think he runs more, now just depending on who you have at quarterback, remember he had Gunnar Stockton there at, uh, I think it was Rabin County. Mm-hmm. And, Correct. you know, that's a... Uh, then you're you're running the the um, you know a lot of quarterback stuff, uh, a lot of of um, reads and let the quarterback mm-hmm. run and or or throw the ball. Stockton had unbelievable numbers as a passer and a runner, uh, and now he's sort of gotten lost in the mix there. University of Georgia, you don't hear anything about him at at this particular time. You're probably not going to hear about him in the immediate future since Carson no. Beck. And his Lamborghini are coming back for another year. <laughs> but, um, you know, he does a lot of that kind of stuff, depending on what his quarterback situation is. So we'll see who he has at quarterback at Greenville, and, and then we'll we'll go from there as far as what he does offensively. And uh, what do you think of the Super Bowl? I kind of talked about it at the outset, thought it was a really good game from my perspective, enjoyed the the fact that it wasn't a 45-30 to 30, you know, eight kind of shootout sort of thing. I kind of liked the the fact that the uh, the officials seemed to let them play, and we yeah. had some good defensive play out there. I thought it was terrific. I thought it was one of the best Super Bowls we had had in a while. And you remember I mentioned on Friday, I thought Kansas City would win, and my fear was they'd run away and hide from San Francisco. And to the uh, 49ers' credit, their defense showed up and played lights out for the most part. Fourth quarter was fun to watch both teams going up and down the field trying to figure out a way to win it before it went into overtime. But I really have to question the decision Kyle Shanahan made when they won the coin toss in overtime, Phil. Mm -hmm. This is now the new rules of the NFL. You don't immediately take the football go kick a field goal and win you've got to play it like you did in college and I thought he made a critical mistake taking the football but if if that's your mindset because he's an offensive guy then you've got to go score a touchdown you had to go for it on fourth down I thought Tony Romo brought up an excellent point during the broadcast when they came out to kick the field goal you couldn't do that you needed to to score a touchdown because basically what you told you gave Patrick Mahomes 75 yards and four downs to get 10 yards every time 
and you also gave him the safety net. As soon as I get across midfield, my guy's going to make the field goal. So as long as I don't make a mistake, we're more than likely going to score, and let's just go ahead and win it. So you had to score a touchdown there to have any chance, and I thought the uh, 49ers really messed that up by not uh, deferring to you know later on Mm -hmm. and give San. Kansas City football first because then you would know what you had to do. Yeah. And then you get the opportunity with Brock Purdy, and then he's got four downs to get 10 yards. I, it was just too easy for Mahomes. As soon as they kicked the field goal, you saw, oh boy, San Francisco's in trouble. Mm. I agree with you 100%. I mean, you see it in the regular season, too. These quarterbacks like that, you can't give them two minutes uh, to beat you with a touchdown. You might kick that field goal and go up. You might as well go for it, forget the field mm-hmm. goal, and go for it, and then hope that if you don't if you don't score, that you've uh, pinned them back far enough, and they can't drive it down and kick a field goal and beat you. But stopping these guys today in today's NFL from scoring a touchdown, no matter how far it is, even if it's two minutes or a little bit less, they just they're so good, and and defenses are playing such a soft zone in in those situations and letting you move the ball in the middle of the field, then trying to tie you up down in the red zone. But by then, it's a little bit too late. And these guys just repeatedly take you down the field and beat you that way. We, we've seen it too many times. Well, like I said, you also gave Patrick Mahomes an extra down. He knew every time he had to get a first down. He had to continue to go for it. So mm-hmm. he had four downs to get 10 yards with that offense. It, it, was, it was way too easy. Uh, San Francisco had to force a turnover. And they just uh, Mahomes wasn't giving it up. I think over the uh, last – I think throughout the AFC playoffs and into the Super Bowl, he had turned it over only one time, and mm-hmm. that was actually in the Super Bowl last night. I mean, he wasn't giving it back to you. And I just, like I said, I thought Shanahan's probably going to have to deal with that decision for a long time. But he should have either gone for it or deferred and ran his defense out there so he'd know what his offense had to do when they got to football. Yeah. And Chris, just to add to that as well, we had numerous 49er players after the game pointing out that they didn't know the updated playoff overtime rules so you had players outright saying that they had not game planned for it they didn't fully understand the rules a number of them were actually reading it for the first time on the jumbotron as they were going between regulation and overtime and they were learning the difference between regular excuse me between overtime rules and the regular season and the playoffs as they were going into it conversely possible i don't know conversely (laughs) though you had multiple players on the chiefs and head coach andy Reid pointing out that they they practice that every week They've been talking about that every week throughout the postseason to make sure they knew what to do. All the players knew what the the strategy was going to be in overtime. Meanwhile, you had 49ers players that had no idea. And one can only think, if the 49ers had scored a touchdown on their opening possession instead of a field goal, would we have seen the 49er players run onto the field to celebrate (laughs) even though they had not won the game? Yeah, really. Yeah. Wild, wild. It's embarrassing. That's crazy. I mean, that, there is no excuse for that, especially with the NFL and the staffs that they have and all these guys do. They tell us how they work, you know, 24 hours a day, nine days a week. And here these guys aren't prepared for overtime in the biggest game of the year. That's, that's ridiculous. i got to be honest with you. Of course, it didn't affect me from the standpoint of anything, watching the game or anything, but I was not aware of the, the change, how the playoff uh, overtime rules changed from regular season to playoff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the regular season, you can win with your opening possession and the other team doesn't get the ball if you go down and score a touchdown. Correct. A field goal doesn't do it for you. A a um, defensive touchdown will end the game. So you can end the game uh, right then and there. But in the playoffs, each, t- each team's going to get the ball at least one time. And I didn't realize that until they explained it going into um, 
into the po- into the overtime. So I wasn't aware of that. I hadn't done my homework on that. Hadn't really thought about it. You're not it, supposed to, though, Phil. You're not paid millions of dollars to have your team prepared as a fan to be ready for that opportunity. Yeah, I get that. It's just inexcusable, yeah. in my opinion, for Kyle Shanahan and his guys to be Ill, that ill-prepared. And they paid for it. Yeah, and then, Clearly, they and paid then, for it. One more thing to add there as well, talking about being ill-prepared. So right at the end of the end of overtime, Tony Romo did a great job in real time of explaining why it didn't really matter that the, the Chiefs were not in a hurry to run a play. It looked like they might almost let the clock run out, and he was explaining it's not like the end of a half. There's not going to be a kickoff after that. It's the equivalent right. of the end of a quarter. So the only thing that would happen is they would go to the other end of the field, but the Chiefs would basically get a free time out there. To me, it almost looked like the Chiefs baited, and Patrick Mahomes baited the Niners into thinking they were going to run out the clock, and then all of a sudden they snapped the ball. It did not look like to me that the 49ers were set on defense for that final play. That game-winning play, the defense looked confused. They looked out of sorts. They looked out of place, out of position. Meanwhile, the, the Chiefs and Mahomes knew exactly where they were going to go, and I can't help but wonder if that wasn't by design, and that just also adds to just being unprepared by the 49ers. All right, let's take some phone calls. 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery. For you here on Sports Talk, Hank in Columbia, up first this week. Welcome in, sir. Good to have you with us. Hey, Homer. Hank, what you doing? Uh, uh, nothing. Just, uh, I think they're showing the replay. You got a bunch of noise. I can't hardly even hear you. You got a bunch of noise in the background. Oh, let me switch. Let me switch. Yeah, yeah, you're in a really loud place. Like a, at a big party or something. Sounds like he's in a call center or something somewhere. Are you over at Don Staley's house? Are you partying with Don Staley tonight? No, 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 no. We, we did what we, we were supposed to do. All right, what's we going did, on? We, huh? What's yeah, going on? I was we're not talking about the game. I... Whoop. Oh, we just lost him. Maybe he wasn't a call center. Hello, Hank. <laughs> All right, he'll call back. Let's go to Gamecock Larry in Swansea. Get him rolling on the week. Gamecock Larry, still undefeated since proclaiming the Gamecocks would never lose another game in the history of his life. Gamecock Larry, welcome in. You won't, you won't believe me, Phil, but I called another station this morning at 6.05. Oh, no. And I... And I told them, I said, when the Raiders come out today, we will be probably be in the top ten, but we won't be no higher than number nine. I said, if we're not in the top ten, we will be number 11. I told them that this morning, 605. They said, no, 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 we won't be that high. I told them it would be, you didn't believe me, but now I can call them more, and I can say, I told you so. Told you so. But, told you so. Told you so. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you something. I had a good weekend. Nine to nothing. Five softball victories, two men victories. I mean, two good week. Two ladies Victories, hmm. and I'm gonna tell you, I don't care what you say about Gino. He ain't, man, he didn't have a chance. I don't care if he had 15 players. They, they, they got a whipping on them. 
They whipped them. Now, you know that. They whipped them. I don't, you talk about they got three or four or five players out. Five. I don't, well, they, it wouldn't have made no difference. Well, it did make a it difference. Come on, Larry. Made, let's no, be let's no, be honest no. now. Come on, Larry. Come on. You know, yeah, five players, five good players. It does make a difference. Come on. Five good players. Well, they well, well and that whatever that young lady's name is. Well, she did get twenty points, but we didn't. I, I, we. They got a whipping. I don't care if they had 50 to 20 more players. Okay. They got a whipping. Well, and the Gamecocks might have won anyway, and Larry got a run, but thank you. I mean, they might have gone ahead, probably would have won anyway, but you can't take take five contributing players off the Gamecocks team and oh, go yeah. play somebody. Go yeah, play, go Connecticut play Iowa. Is a shell, yeah. shell of itself, yeah. but it, I don't think it would have mattered. USC is so good, especially at home. But, yeah, you, you have to look at the fact that's not a Connecticut team. No. All right, be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Monday edition of Sports Talk across the states, where everybody in the state comes to talk sports two hours every night. That's just 10 hours a week. Or if you do the math and you run it out there, that's about 40 hours a month. So, you know, it's like a work week in a month, 40 hours in a month. That's all we ask for, one of your work weeks in a month, listening to Sports Talk and paying attention to us, calling in, and visiting our sponsors and paying attention to them. And don't forget, if you miss us live over the air, you can't find us. We're streaming on the Chief Sports app. It's a free app, so download it in your uh, Android phone or your, your Apple phone. Works works beautifully on both. You can also, of course, watch our stream on X, formerly known as Twitter, and also on our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's all free. X is free. The website is free. The show is free. All we ask is that you pay attention to our advertisers, acknowledge them, and use their services if it's something indeed that you need or buy their goods if it's something that you need to purchase. That is not too much to ask. All right, a couple of other quick notes, and then back to your phone calls. And the phone number, 888-898-2525. So the net ranking updated for uh, state teams Through Sunday, Clemson is number 29. USC is 45. College of Charleston, 116. Furman, 148. Winthrop, 165. Wofford, 191. Citadel, 256. Hang on, Chris. We're getting to you. Presbyterian, 293. Upstate, 299. SC State, 305. Charleston Southern, 317. And Coastal Carolina, 330. Been a tough year, but all that matters, one weekend in February, <laughs> early March, Pensacola. That's right. I've often said, <laughs> I've often thought, okay, what if you are a team and you have the best player in America on your team? And, I mean, he's like 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bill Walton or even a more dominant Michael Jordan, okay? And let's say this person gets hurt in preseason and he, you miss, he misses the entire regular season and you go 0-29, but he gets healthy for the postseason tournament and you win your league championship tournament because of this guy. He's that good when healthy. He's that good. Mm-hmm. So now you go into the NCAA tournament and you're like, what, 4-29 and 29 or something? Maybe sure. 5. Maybe you had to win 5 games in your league tournament. And then you go into the NCAA tournament and you start reeling off wins. I mean, uh, theoretically, that is possible in the NCAA basketball world. Absolutely is. I remember, and how would they seed you, uh, depending on who you are? I mean, if you're from a, a Power 5 league, You'd be seated what at worst a thirteen seed, maybe I mean, even have to play to in the sixteen in the in the first four, <laughs> yeah. you know, mm-hmm. for either a sixteen or an eleven. Um, but yeah, I mean that'd be that's not very likely that that could happen, but it theoretically could happen, you know. The lowest seat or the worst record to ever make the NCAA tournament was back in nineteen ninety five, Florida International. Was eleven eighteen. That's actually happened three times. Excuse me. Ninety five Florida International was eleven eighteen. Ninety six Central Florida was eleven eighteen. Something about those Florida schools. Really. In ninety seven Fairfield was eleven and eighteen. Eleven and eighteen. So they won their conference tournaments with lousy yeah. records. Yeah, they did. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan has given uh, been extended as the Florida head baseball coach, uh, going into his seventeenth season, and he is now under contract through the end of twenty thirty three which would be his 26th wow. season, his average salary will increase from 1.2 to 1.8. His average salary annually will, will be between 1.7 and 1.9. There's some change thrown in there as well. Makes him the second-highest paid coach behind Tim Corbin. Did so Jack Leggett, Jack Leggett can say, boys, contribute to my <laughs> – Go fund me, Paige, because you got plenty of money thanks to me. I mean, what took them so long? I mean, the College World Series ended in June. It was clear you were going to extend him, I would think, after making it to the final. And, I mean, it takes you all the way into the week the season starts, or have they already had this done for months and they just wanted to sort of uh, splash that on us as the season gets underway? I think that's probably it. I think that's just the timing, you know, going Mm -hmm. into the season. And the Men's Basketball Player of the Week in the uh, Southern Conference comes from, um, uh, well, it's Western Carolina. Western Carolina's, uh, Western Carolina's uh, Vontarius Wilbright was named the Southern Conference Basketball Player of the Week. All right, back to the phones we go. 888-898-2525. And it is, going to try Hank again. Did he come back to us? All right, let's try Hank again in Columbia. He's back in line. All right, Hank, are things better with your cell service? Yes, it's better now, Corny. Does that sound good? Much better, much better. What's going on? Okay, well, um, a couple of things. Since you, I, As I was listening, as I hung up on, um, one, when you mentioned that scenario you just did, uh, remember <laughs> a UConn team that was horrible. I'm talking about on the men's side. And with Kimball Walker, Played five days in the Big East, won the Big East tournament, mm. and then went all the way and won the national title. <laughs> That's right. Yep, you're right. We're not in the tournament. <laughs> Had to play on day one of the Big East, 
played five games in five days, won them, and then turned around and and went all the way and won the national title. Mm-hmm. So, now this is crazy. And I think Shaka Smart's VCU team went from the first four to the final four. So. Sure did. Sure did. Yep. <laughs> so, it's not a, as crazy a scenario you say. Um, I, talking about the Super Bowl, um, at the end, I was thinking like the old rule at, that if the time ran out, that game would have been over and they would have won three nothing. Also, it it's crazy when you when you know it's no excuse like you and Chris said, but when you're changing rules, in, in, you know you're playing by one rule for for 14 weeks and then another rule for two or two weeks or the playoffs. It seems like you know you might have a team that emphasizes special teams more than the others. Um, you know, it's crazy about that scenario, but I did hear that what Pat said. And, but I um, think Chris was point, right. I think Chris is right. There can't be any excuse for not knowing the rules. Oh, I, I agree. I, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. That's, yeah. that's your life. That's your profession. So yeah. if it, even as it, it was all jumbled up, you had to know it. I, I think it was a whole bunch of people while I was watching with didn't have, couldn't even figure it out when Romo was saying what he was saying. But um, and then Corn, I'll, I'll say this uh, just so people don't get it twisted. Uh, UConn had five players out. Now, and Alfie, and Alfie and Patterson are two players that don't play any for UConn. Patterson played last year, and she might have played two minutes, average a minute a game, if not two minutes a game. Right. And then Alfie was an incoming player who hadn't yet played for them but wasn't expected to play any this year. Yeah, they had so three, they were basically missing, three players out who were, were contributors. Missing, yeah, they were missing. Combined, combined they uh, averaged about 30 points a game combined. Well, they were, they were missing foot. Arby Griffin's a rebounder, but they were missing Fudd and Deshaun. Now, and um, I think even if they played, they still it wouldn't have been as bad as it was, and it's not competitive. I still think Carolina still would beat them because they have played UConn's team with Deshaun, Fudd, and Arby Griffin. And this is the thing that you gotta you gotta tip your hat to Don Taylor, even if you know you got some people that don't like her. Mm-hmm. It's too outspoken. She's won five of the last six games she's played against UConn. She's won four straight, which her and the coach from Notre Dame are the only two players that have done that. So um, they went four straight against UConn, but she's won five of six. And she's played when that team has been um, – she has played when that team has been full. And as you know, said, we, they, have, they beat them the last four times. Um, and those those games weren't even at um those games weren't even at in South Carolina. This is the first game they played South Carolina since two thousand twenty. They beat them up there in Yukon. They beat them in Bahamas. They beat them in the national title game. <laughs> so uh, they, they for three years they've been beating them in different places. So, you know, that's a nice narrative, but like I said, Carolina was without Cadoza. But let's not get it twisted. Like um, that was those three players would have made it made it competitive, and UConn would have looked more like UConn. I still think South Carolina wins probably about ten or twelve, and if Cardoza's there, it's worse. Yeah, if Cardoza's there, you're right. That adds something back to South Carolina. I still say, yeah, I think the Gamecocks win regardless. Agree. Uh, if both teams are at full strength, I'm just saying that it, it would have been a more. It was not a competitive game after about. Um, the first uh, three minutes. I was going to say four. <laughs> I was going to say about four minutes of the first quarter. The Gamecocks, as they do, they spurted. They had a lead at the end of the first quarter. They extended the lead in the second and third quarters. Connecticut did outscore them in the fourth quarter, but that was garbage time. The lead was twenty-seven. 
the lead had reached 27, and uh, and then Connecticut hit some shots down the stretch. But yeah, I still just uh, all, all I was pointing out was it would have been a more competitive yeah. game had those yeah. other girls been able to play. I mean, they lose yeah. uh, Fudd played two games this year. She was averaging 11 points per game. Um, they lose Griffin, who was averaging nine points per game. She played in 14 games, so that's that's 20 points right there. Um, and then they lose uh, Descharme. She'd only played in four games, and she was Descharme. averaging four four points per game. So there, you're talking about losing about 24, 25 points per game, not to mention the minutes, because they only played six players any type of uh, notable minutes. So you're talking about the wear and tear on your team. But that's on – now, Corn. this is what I'll say. The minutes thing, that's on Geno, because there were – Geno had four – They Carolina came out with nine players – UConn had nine or ten players dressed out. Now, Gino cho- chooses has always chosen to play uh, five to seven players, even when he's got his his full lineup, because he that's just him. He's, he if you look over the last six seven years, he'll play five players plus two or five players plus three. That that's what was happening when Boston them first started beating him. Those girls that were on the bench were all American. It just happens that Don plays her bench. Therefore, they they had Carolina dressed nine players, but none of those girls looked like they were foreign to playing. The freshmen that we had out there and the freshmen they had out there, our freshmen were not stage fright. No. And uh, it's because no. it's that preseason conference where Don takes them and plays anybody anywhere, and, 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 and she develops a bench, and that's what's been killing them. But what does it tell you? And, and thanks, Hank. We got to go. Appreciate it. Even with their depleted roster – you look at what UConn has been doing, Chris, over the past uh, several weeks, and, I mean, they've been blowing out everybody left and right. Uh, I'm just going through their, their schedule here, and they haven't had a close game since they played North Carolina back on December 10th, and they won by 11. Outside of that, um, almost all their wins have been by, like, 25-30. Here's a 50-point win over St. John's or – yeah, their league is terrible. Though. That's my point. The, <laughs> yeah. You know, they did have the loss to Notre Dame. Notre Dame beat them by 15. Um, otherwise, they've been running through everybody. But, I mean, I'm just pointing out here the, you know, it's there's just a handful. This is where women's basketball is still, I think, lagging. There's just not a great depth right now of uh, a number of good teams, would you say? I mean, I agree. five I agree. or six it's, or seven. There are more. There are more than there ever have been. I mean, you could probably look at the uh, – well, look at how the rotating door at number two. I mean, it's gone between Ohio State, Iowa. Who else has been there at number two? Uh, probably uh, UConn at one point in time. I bet Notre Dame's been – I mean, everybody behind South Carolina has tried to uh, stay at number two, and they can't. But, yeah, no, the the depth in women's basketball still got a long way to go to be even come close to catching up with the men. It's gotten better. But, yeah, UConn is going to win probably the Big East, and that's not a big accomplishment. That's why if you look at their schedule, the non-conference games, Geno plays. The question I would have if I'm a UConn fan is why do we continue to have these type of injuries to our women's team? You remember Paige Beckers has had a couple mm-hmm. of major injuries over her career. Uh, why do these girls keep getting hurt? And uh, how can we get that fixed? Because, uh, again, I don't think this is a UConn team that advances to the second weekend. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they do. I agree with you. I mean, you know Beckers is a terrific player. You mentioned Edwards, and, and she's really good. And mm-hmm. Shade, Shade is a freshman. She hit some big shots. But, I mean, they just didn't have any other players around them. 
uh, yesterday to, to offset what South Carolina could throw at him. And South Carolina got really good performances from a number of different players. We talked about yeah. Pow-Pow, and she carried them early, but Kitts had some moments. And, of course, Raven Johnson had a double-double. And, I mean, it just spread up and down their lineup. All right, we've got to run to a break, and we'll be back with more here on Sports Talk. We'll get you a little Don Staley post-game commentary coming up. And we'll have recruiting for you coming up at uh, 7.05. Clemson baseball coach Eric Backich is scheduled to be with us. 7.35, just a bit outside, with gentleman Jim Toman, who is ready to rock and roll on this coming baseball season. Get you his thoughts on uh, – the teams here in South Carolina and then kind of spread things out around the country. Hit the break. Be back in a moment. When trouble comes like the accidents do, we all get sick and the bills pile too. There's only one number that can help see you through. And if you're healthy, here's what you should do. Call 605 7905 that's the number that you need to know. 605-7905. Zero dollar deductible. What's a deductible, you say? That's the price you have to pay before the insurance will say we'll help you. They keep that number out of reach because they know that you won't reach that number because they know you're healthy. 605-7905. Zero dollar deductible six oh five seven nine oh five seven two seven is the area code. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. That's the sound of a big hit on you and your car or truck. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years, helping people who get injured in car wrecks and truck wrecks. If you have serious injuries, call Jim Corbett, 803-765-2968, or email me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T. I don't get paid unless I recover for you. Jim Corbett Attorney, for your best recovery from a big hit, 803-765-2968, or jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. George Bryan here for Tsunami Bar Sports, and some say the fun is in the winning. I say the fun is in the training. And Tsunami Robbie, what do you say? George, we all know you get more done when you're having fun. This technology is different, it's engaging, but it's also a lot of fun to use. Hi, this is Phil Kornblut. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any Tsunami Bar order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait, order today. Now, baseball season upon us, our poll question of the week. Which team do you think is the most likely to finish the season in Omaha? 
and we've had 258 votes, 68.6% vote South Carolina, 20.5% vote Clemson, 10.1% vote Coastal Carolina, 0.8% give the College of Charleston that nod. You got time to vote, of course, throughout the week on our poll question of the week on our X at Sports Talk SC and also on our on our uh, on our uh, website at sportstalksc.com. And uh, also wanted to uh, mention here before we get back to phone calls, 888-898-2525. The Steelers released punter Presley Harvin the 3rd today. He is out of uh, Sumter, of course, went to Georgia Tech and quarterback Mitch Trubisky released by the Steelers. ACC announced uh, officially they're going to go to a 4-day ACC <laughs> oh, kickoff. Joy. Because of all the teams now, July 22nd through the 25th in Charlotte. And Clemson will go the last day. Clemson, North Carolina, NC State, and Syracuse go the last day. The first day, Florida State, Georgia Tech, and SMU. And then July 23rd, California, Pitt, Stanford, Virginia, Virginia Tech. I guess Cal and Stanford could share a plane. And then uh, July 24th, Boston College, Duke, Louisville, Miami, and Wake Forest. Please tell me, ACC, that you're not thinking about having this in San Francisco one day. <laughs> I was just, just curious to make if there happy. would be any any local media from the Bay Area that's actually going to travel to Charlotte to cover media days in July for Cal. I'm sure their team websites will. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, for them, for team websites that are only covering a particular team, and you have, you know, a handful of people. It's a lot cheaper mm-hmm. because newspapers are covering sure. a whole bunch of different stuff. you got a much bigger staff, and everything, and your budgets are so tight. Uh, but I imagine maybe the Chronicle might send somebody. Um, the San Jose Mercury might send somebody. Those are pretty big newspapers. Um, so with the ACC going to four days, when is the SEC going to announce a five-day marathon, a week-long extravaganza for SEC media days? Mm, I think they already have. <laughs> I think Didn't we figure it was four for this upcoming year. Uh, is it still four out in Dallas? I think, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like the week before the ACC. But but how much longer will it be when they realize, hey, the ACC is going as long as we are. Mm-hmm. We need to go five days. We're the kings. We have to do it more <laughs> because it just means more. Let's go to mm-hmm. Andy in Columbia next with us on Sports Talk. Andy, good evening. Welcome in. Hello, fellas. First off, um, Corn, you said that the um, two teams would always get a um, possession in overtime. Now, what I've read is, and I don't understand why, it's not something else also, that if there's a safety, that would end the game for on the Correct. first. Um, now, what would happen if you the mean in the in, in the in playoff overtimes, in the Super in, Bowl no, overtime? in the Super Bowl overtime, if there's a safety, if the defensive team scores, if the first team that has the ball ends up giving up a safety, they lose the game. Okay. okay? That, that's just like it is now, in, in the regular season. But it doesn't say anything about the defense if there's a defensive score. It only said, what I'm reading on ESPN right now, it only said a safety. It didn't say anything if the defense scores. What happens if there's an interception and they run it back or if there's a fumble and they take it into the end zone? But see, the official, not, I'm pretty sure, that, to answer your question, Andy, I'm pretty sure that ends the game as well. Any defensive that's score That's what I would think, too, but it just – but it says, unless the first drive in overtime ends with a safety. That's right off of ESPN. It says nothing about 
the defense scoring on a touchdown. But see, the official said before the coin toss, he said, we're going to play this like a regular game. Remember he said that? We're going to play this like a regular game. And there's a defensive score. Even I was confused, too, (laughs) as the clock was winding down at the end of the first overtime. I'm thinking, okay, they got to go fast because this thing's about to end. Um, and then well, I think, how would it end, Corn? They're going to end the Super Bowl in a tie? No, it was three. I mean, it was three. They were down three. Yeah. They were down three, and I'm thinking, oh, they got to get yeah. it. But then I think it was Tony Romo, who I thought did a great yeah, job he, in the booth. Um, I can't stand him. He, uh, but, but he pointed out that. <laughs> I put him they, in my Mark Kingston category. He, he pointed out <laughs> that they didn't have to rush because they'll just play, you know, they just flip over to the next quarter. Um because you still had to complete that drive. I mean, they still had the right. Kansas City still had the right to complete that drive. Yeah. You know, Romo had to say, or someone brought it up, that Romo was at the other overtime game. Who gives a rat's behind? Just call the game and shut up. You know, I could really care less if you called the Atlanta-New England game. I mean, you know what? If, if we made an impression, you wouldn't have to tell anybody that we'd all remember that hmm. okay moving on valid point how did colin murray boyles not get sec player of the year along i mean of the week along with freshman of the week i mean that young man had two great back-to-back games this past week who hmm. did better than him in those two games and their two games this week who was the sec player of the week for this week mr corn or, or Chris. Well, I didn't pay any attention to that after I saw he got the, uh, play, the freshman yeah. of the week, but I can tell you in just a second. Yeah. Another A&M's comment while you're looking at uh, Tyrese Redford from Texas A&M. And I want Bruce to call in and let us know all about Pete Maravich who played yesterday and how great Pete, the woman's Pete Maravich did. That's all he's been talking about for the past three weeks. Pace Bruce is on deck, this, Andy. Pace this. Uh, I can't wait to hear. All right, Thanks. we got to run to the break. Tyrese Radford, he averaged 24.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 2.5 and assists. Now, he was pretty good, too. Be right back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. We are back with you on this Monday edition of Sports Talk across the state on the Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Cornblut, Pat Daniel here in Downtown Columbia, Chris Bergen from the Bergy Palace over in Sardis. And you know what's beginning on Friday? The road to Omaha. Everybody thinks they're going to be in Omaha, but only eight will make it. Coach Eric Backich of the Clemson Tigers is very optimistic, hopeful that his team will be among the great eight to make it to Omaha come June. And Coach Backich joins us here on Sports Talk as we kick off previews this week going into the start of the baseball season. Let's welcome in, in his second season, Coach Eric Backich. And good evening, Coach. Thank you for being with us. How are you? Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you having me on. I'm doing great. It's been too long. It's been too long. It's time to get at it again. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, ready or not, here we go, right? (laughs) Yeah. How do you feel? What's your overview coming off of fall camp, 
coming off of preseason camp. You know your team. You know your players. What do you think? I would say cautiously optimistic. Um, if I'm just measuring the quality and caliber of the of the people on our team and the, just the type of dudes that we have, then I'm very optimistic because uh, this is as good of a bunch being around low maintenance, high production, um, never once had to coach attitude or effort. Uh, they're about all the right things. They, you know, we, part of our shared language is how you do anything is how you do everything. And uh, they came out this fall from day one, last August on a mission, it felt like. And uh, it carried over, spilled over into the classroom where they set a program record, shattered the record we set last year with a 3.27 team GPA. They crushed it with community service. You know, so people listen and say, what's that got to do with baseball? Well, it's got everything to do with a winner's mindset because a championship mindset, you want to be great in every single thing you do. And so I would... uh, gives me cautious optimism going into the season. I think our biggest threat is just once, you know, just like a lot of coaches, once you go from inner squads and scrimmages where everybody plays to now only half the guys play, it's going to just make sure that we find those opportunities to keep guys engaged, keep guys playing, keep guys happy, make sure they continue to love the team more than they love their individual role. Because we're going to have some really good players uh, not in the starting lineup uh, as we go through the course of this season. So is that an indication of the depth of this team? As you say, you're going to have some really good players who might not be in the starting lineup. You feel like the depth, you've improved the overall talent level and the depth of this team going into this season? Yeah, we felt like there was a lot of talent on the roster already um, from you know the players that were here last year and the players that are back, and then we were able to, to add a lot of talented kids to it. Um, but yes, that's uh, it's a good problem to have, Phil. I think any coach would tell you that. But there does come some threats with it in terms of being able to, you know, to to keep guys in there and get guys in there. So we'll be fair, but we can't be equal when it comes to the playing time. But we we feel good about the depth of of really the the offense uh, and and the pitching. So it's um, again all reasons for cautious optimism heading into the season. Eric Backage, Clemson baseball coach, with us. That's what I wanted to ask you after going through uh, fall camp, preseason camp. Is this a team that's going to be heavy on the pitching side or heavy on the hitting side, or do you have that that preferred uh, high-level mix of both? You know, it it feels like both right now. It, it, It certainly has that look and feel to it where we're not going to be overly reliant on starters having to go six or seven innings because we've got such a experienced bullpen guys who have been in high leverage situations in the past. I think that's a, that's a very comforting feeling to know that whatever happens, at least we've, we've got guys that have been in those, those tight situations, those bases loaded jams, those, you know, high leverage, high stakes, big moments, crowd going nuts type situations. Um, and we've got some older guys that have done it and done it very well. So we do feel good about that. I think any any coach will tell you how important the, the bullpen is. And, you know, and then we feel really good about our starting pitching, too. We've got guys who have experience starting in our program who have also done it well. And, um, 
you know. So I think the blend on on both the the starting pitching and the bullpen side uh, gives us, you know, gives us a lot of reasons to point to is is what should be a good, very good pitching staff. And then same thing offensively, we have some some holes to play, replace, especially at catcher and in the infield. Um, but uh, you know, you don't you don't replace a Caden Grice or a Cooper Ingle. You just try to recreate them in other ways. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been able to do. We've been able to – we may not have a guy who hits 18 home runs like Caden Grice did or a guy who can uh, – you know, has maybe the exact same barrel-to-ball skills that Cooper Engel does. But, you know, with the combination of, of a few other guys that have come in, both grad transfers and new guys, it's and some guys who have been in our program who are ready to make a jump, certainly feels like we should have a – pretty balanced lineup one that will have both speed and power mm-hmm. gosh i'll pick up right there because you referenced caden grice and i was interested as to how you're going to handle the first base situation for your team because the caden grices of the world don't come through programs all that often a dual threat as you pointed out a guy you believed last year was going to have a long and prosperous major league career where where are you right now in terms of being able to replace him at first base and also perhaps as a relief pitcher, a starting pitcher, and certainly with his bat? Yeah, and again, you don't you don't place you don't replace the John Olerud you know two way player of the year. <laughs> uh, but if you if you split Caden Grice up into two different players, which is what he was, um, and he's the best two way player I've seen in my in all the players I've played with or coached. Um, you know, then you just try to look at who can who can give us those types of innings on the mound, and who can, you know, who can hit in the middle of the order and hit with some power. And maybe and it's not one guy that hits 18 home runs. Maybe it's a couple of guys, you know, that that combine to hit those 18 homers. Or maybe somebody does hit 18. We'll see. But uh, we do have some first base options. We have, uh, you know, we have a couple of catchers. Uh, one of them is Jacob Jarrell, who got a lot of time last year. The other one is a grad transfer, and Jimmy Obertop. And Jimmy can play first base when he's not catching. We have another kid that is a grad transfer that came in that um, it can play right field and can also play first base in Alden Mathis. And then we also have a kid who's been patient in our program, Cooper Blauser, who came into the program as a shortstop, son of Jeff Blauser, for, you know, longtime former major leaguer, um, that can also play first base and I think between those three guys you'll probably see one of them in there at all times but you'll see all three of those guys in the lineup pretty consistently Um, so I think that's going to be a little bit of a one of those positions that it may not be the same guy every single game and it'll depend on who's catching and who's playing the outfield and so on but that's going to be one of the nice blends uh, of the team this year is we're going to have some moving parts I've never been a big believer on settling in on some opening day lineup and trying to make it stick. We're going to move a lot of guys in and out and around these first few weeks just to give a bunch of guys a lot of opportunities. And we'll figure out the lineup as time goes, but it's not a race to try to get a settled lineup. We'll get there eventually, but it takes time. Mm Mm-hmm. And, Coach, you didn't have to pause to make sure you expanded Jeff Lauser's resume because you're in South Carolina. We only know him as a Brave, hmm. so it's okay <laughs> to call him a former Brave. <laughs> you talked well, earlier perfect. about your team. 
<laughs> you talked earlier about your team sort of coming in in August when they reported and, and on a mission. The way you finished the regular season, you guys were playing as well as anybody in the country. How much do you feel that the regional sort of spurred your team into the offseason considering that tough loss to Tennessee and then uh, clearly a hangover loss to Charlotte and then not reaching your goals but still winning an ACC championship? How much did that regional sort of stick in your team's crawl, do you think, to motivate them into this season? Yeah, and it, it wasn't even just losing in the regional. It was the the all the momentum and just the you know feeling like you're you're just going full speed pedal down, and then just to just kind of hit at that brick wall and just crash land, and all of a sudden, you know, two games in like eighteen hours, and the season is over. Um, that was just a tough tough pill to swallow, and so. Yeah, we did. We did have a remarkable turnaround, but ultimately we finished the season not in Omaha. So, uh, you know, Clemson baseball has long been established uh, as an Omaha program, and it's just been way too long since the program has has gotten there. It's been since 2010, as everybody knows. And so it's uh, it was just one of those things. It felt like we were, you know, a runaway freight train headed in that direction. Um, and so to see it stop and end so suddenly was was very difficult, and it very much gave our players a chip on their shoulder, and uh, that's what I mean when they came out on a mission this fall. So they they all know they're well versed that you know Omaha happens a long time from now. We've got four months until we need to be talking about Omaha or going to Omaha, but going to Omaha is also just kind of a a way of doing things and a mindset and a lifestyle, and so. These guys have been on that mission of, you know, trying to earn it, trying to be one of the teams that earns the opportunity that gets hot at the end because it's not the teams that play the best, as we all know, in February, March, April, or May. It's the teams that get hot in June. And I firmly believe you got to earn the right to get hot. It doesn't just happen by accident. There's some things that you can say point to that you got a lucky bounce or break here or there, but it takes what it takes. You got to put in the work. You got to put in the time and, and you got to earn it in August and September and October and all the months leading up to June. And that's what our guys, when I say they're on a mission, that's what it feels like they're doing. A couple more minutes with Eric Backage from Clemson. The Tigers opening their season this coming Friday at home. And the Tigers will be opening with a three-game set against Xavier, which is usually a, a pretty good club, and then Presbyterian comes in on Tuesday. So what does your rotation look like going into the weekend? Well, we haven't announced it yet. We'll probably tell the team on Wednesday, and then we'll announce it after that. But we got a lot of starting options. You know, obviously the the easy look at is Austin Gordon. He was a starter for us a lot last year. Tristan Smith started for us and had a great uh, summer in the Cape, was an all-star you know, Billy Barlow's got experience starting for us, brought in a, a transfer from, from Wofford and in Matt Marshall, who has a ton of starting experience. Um, you got some, some freshmen that have really emerged and, and done very well. And then we've got guys who made starts in our program last year, like Joe Allen and, and Aiden, or, uh, uh, Rocco Reed. Uh, so, you know, we've got some guys that, that have, have done it as Clemson Tigers in the past, and we've got some guys that have done it, you know, with some experience over the course of a, of multiple college seasons. So we, we've got good options. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out this week. We met about it a long time today. We still haven't decided on, on the exact rotation, but, you know, we're, uh, we're going to make that decision 
and it'll be based on, you know, it'll be based on a few things, but one of those things is how guys have been built up and pitch counts and more piecing the weekend together as opposed to this is our starter who's we're going to run out there for six innings. We will not do that this weekend. We're going to, you know, we learned that that was a tough lesson to learn last year. We had a lot of pitchers, just the nature of college baseball, having a very short ramp time window. It's a recipe for a lot of sore arms and sore shoulders and soft tissue injuries just because we have such a small amount of ramp time. I'm still a firm believer the season's starting way too soon. We need to start in March, not February. Mm. Um, but you just, you just, the, you know, one of the, you know, one of the uh, unintended consequences of starting the season so early is you just got pitchers that aren't built up and not, not mm-hmm. in that mid-season form. So we're going to take it slow with a lot of our starting pitchers, and you may have some that are only on a you know, 50 to 65 pitch count, and that's fine. And we can do it this year. This is a year we can do it because of the depth. Yeah. What about on the back end? Are you set on a closer at this point or a closer by committee? No, we've got four guys, like I was mentioning. We we have four high-leverage relievers that have all been in big spots. Uh, Nick Clayton, who was our most valuable pitcher last year, he was 8-0 and made all of his appearances in relief. Uh, with a with a you know a small ERA, but he's a guy that has has done it and done it very well. Uh, Rob Hughes, when he got healthy, he was awesome in some really big spots for us at the end of the game. Reed Garris was awesome in some big spots at the end of the game. All these guys can come into high leverage situations and strike throwers with a swing and miss pitch, and then getting Lucas Malstat, who was uh, on one of the Stopper of the Year watch lists, was a closer at. Wofford and with the coaching change they had there we were able to pick him up uh, but he he brings as much end of the game experience as anyone so I think those four guys you'll see them in a lot of those situations all of them have been in those big situations before so we do we feel really good about the bullpen and the options at the end but those are those will be four guys you'll see in some of those jams that we need to pitch out of. Coach following up right there Lucas Malstead the transfer pitcher from Wofford just reading a little bit more about him, that he can be stretched out to throw as many as four innings. Seems like he's more of a potentially long reliever. Is that the plan for him this year? And then speak to just, he's, a, he's that sidewinder, so that's something that maybe players aren't, batters aren't always accustomed to seeing. Seems to always have a bit more of an effect on, on pitchers, I'm sorry, on batters, if you could speak to that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, anytime you get a guy from an unconventional angle where he drops down, I mean, this, he's got the ability to on submarine or sidearm and you know and he's it's a it's really it's a tough look and he's got the ability to to sink it he um you know no it's no such thing as a rise ball mm-hmm. in baseball but i swear he's got a pitch that rises <laughs> this slider that he throws that rises it's just it's it's really a unique look and he's a strike thrower he's great pfp guy he's got an awesome pick move like he's just a He's a perfect guy that you would want at the end of the game just because if you want guys at the end of the game to be successful, then they need to have swing and miss stuff. They need to throw strikes, and they need to fill their position in a bunt situation, and he can do all of those. So, And, and so can Nick Clayton and Rob Hughes and Reed Garris. So we we do feel really good about all the options. Um, we, we probably, out of necessity, won't have to um, – keep Lucas in the game quite as long. He pitched 80 something innings last year and 20 something appearances. I think for us we would we would rather have more appearances where he gets into the 
into the game uh, as, as in, in as many games as we can. Same with Nick Clayton and Rob Hughes and Reed Garris, but uh, he certainly can. He's been built up for that, so that's a nice, that's a nice, uh, you know, that that's a comforting feeling to know that he can be extended, and he can go, you know, three or four innings if needed. Well, we appreciate you and appreciate the time. We look forward to uh, another great season at Clemson baseball. Forty-four wins, you know, and I know it didn't end up in a Super or Omaha, but forty-four wins—that's nothing to sneeze at last year and uh, have a great season we'll see you throughout and talk to you throughout and we'll see where she uh, where she takes us this year but thank you so much for the time as always thanks coach well yeah hey thanks for having me and if we uh, you know if we stay committed to being the number one ranked team at getting better be the best at getting better then uh, then hopefully we'll be talking for a long time well into june you got it sir thank you talk to you again thanks, soon coach all right thanks guys thank you Coach Eric Backich from Clemson. Tigers open up against Xavier, 4 o'clock on Friday, 3 against them, then Tuesday home against PC, then the next weekend home to Kennesaw State, then the following Tuesday upstate, and then March 1, 2, 3. The big series with the Gamecocks beginning in Columbia at uh, Founders Park on Friday, then over at Segra Park on Saturday, and then up to Doug's King, uh, Doug Kingsmore Stadium on that Sunday. Then Kansas State comes to uh, Clemson. Tigers don't leave the state until March 15th. So that's nice. And we'll be back. Call Lawyer Lisa. Experience the difference with Lawyer Lisa. This is Lisa Hostetler-Brown. If you or a loved one are over 65 and haven't completed a long-term care planning consultation, now is the time. Did you know that if you aren't able to afford the high cost of skilled care, your assets can be rapidly depleted to only $2,000 unless you plan five years in advance? Visit LawyerLisa.com to see how we can help. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South Carolina. Hi, yes, uh, I'll have the club sandwich and house salad. You got it, sweetie. I'll throw in a pair of designer sunglasses as well. Um, just lunch, thanks. How about a week at my boss's oceanfront villa? What? When you join the South Carolina Education Lottery's Players Club, you get way more than you expect. More chances, more wins, and more surprises. Today's special, a trip to low Earth orbit in a private spaceship. Join the Players Club at seeducationlottery.com because more happens here. Last year was a big year for Founders Federal Credit Union and our amazing members. A total of $30 million was given back to qualifying members in the form of loyalty bonus dividends, proving once again that it pays to be a Founders member. Founders is also committed to pouring time and resources into the local communities we serve. If you aren't a member yet, what are you waiting for? Join Founders today. Visit foundersfcu.com. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership qualification required. Calling all turkey hunters, this is Major Billy Daniel of the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Turkey season is coming soon. The most common accident while turkey hunting is failing to identify your target. Know the identifying features of a turkey. Make sure of your target and what lies beyond it before you pull the trigger. Remember, safe hunting is no accident. For more information on hunter education, visit dnr.sc.gov.
Thanks again to Eric Backich for being with us. And coming up, Jim Toman will talk more baseball. But first, what about the thoughts of Don Staley following the Gamecocks' win yesterday over Connecticut, number one team in the country, unanimous, once again rolling through everybody. Comments of Don Staley. Donna Powell came, comes out hot, scores 16 in the first half. She, uh, you know, been playing well, but had not maybe been shooting up to her usual standard the last four games. With a player like that, do you even talk to her when she's in the middle of a little bit of a slump? Yeah, you got to get going, Powell. I mean, simply, but she knows. She's she's very aware of what she means to our basketball team, and she's aware of, you know, her play. Um, but we we still, even though through the the shooting woes. We wanted her to continue to shoot. You got to you have to stay in rhythm. The um, when you take good shots, they'll find their way into the basket. Coach, I asked about Raven's speed on Friday, and then she came in here and said you told her to slow down a little bit tonight. <laughs> what did you see out of her today? Um, I, I just thought she was playing really fast, and so fast that she wasn't seeing other options. She only created one option for herself. Um, so she can still make the same decision still take the same shot if she's aware of what's around her. Like, I didn't think she was aware, you know, of our shooters on the wing. She wasn't aware of Ashlyn streaking down behind her. So it's, it's those types of things that she needed to just slow down and give herself um, options just in case it, it doesn't, you know, the ball isn't going in. Uh, Powell was in here a second ago saying Breezy had the hardest job in the building today guarding Paige. What was your overall assessment of that and the defense in general today? Um I thought she, I thought Breezy was locked in. I mean, Breezy wanted to do a job um, on page, meaning just we just wanted her to not shoot fifty four percent. That's a win. That's a win because Paige doesn't take bad shots. She only takes shots that are makeable. Um, and you know, I, I thought we did a good job in the first half, and I think she got going. She got it going on in the second half, but I mean, she didn't shoot fifty percent. Um, so that helps, and I, I thought I thought Breezy did a good job. I thought we did a job switching when we needed to switch, and Ashlyn had her. Um, we just wanted to make it hard for her, and I know she felt our presence on on the defensive side of the ball. You guys went into halftime with momentum and a big lead. Powell said that you told them that the third quarter was going to make be the difference if you could put away a really good team like UConn. How do you view your team's third quarter performance tonight? Um, got up. It wasn't. It, we, we didn't get off to a great third quarter start. But I think over the course of the quarter, I thought we we widened the lead, um, and I thought we we did what we needed to do defensively to get a big lead. And then look what happened. I mean, they they ate into that lead in the fourth quarter, but it, it gave us enough cushion to have them have a run, and and we didn't feel it as much. If it's the same score then it's a different basketball game if we didn't do what we needed to do in, you know, at the, in the third quarter. Okay, comments from Dawn Staley after another big win for the Gamecocks. And they are off until Thursday. They go to Tennessee on Thursday. I mean, Tennessee is not Tennessee, but it's still Tennessee. Be back in just a moment.
Okay, back we are. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Cornblue, Chris Bergen, Pat Daniel. Duke is leading Wake Forest 23-19. That's late in the first half. That's the ACC game going on tonight. Kansas and Texas Tech will be the late game tonight out in the Big 12. Appreciate Eric Backage for being with us a little while ago to talk Clemson baseball. We'll have Mark Kingston tomorrow night at 7.35 to talk Gamecock baseball and more through the week. But back once again because you demanded it, the public demanded it. It is time. <laughs> okay, it's, it's Well, our, now I know what the music was. It's, it's, <laughs> it's our first time of the season. We're going to get it right here. That was a check swing, a little check swing by Pat. It is time for... Just a bit outside. He tried the corner in this. Yes, he did. We welcome back the man with the guns. And I don't mean he's a member of the NRA. I'm talking about those sweet guns connected to his shoulders. He is the one, the only, Coach Jim Toman. Coach, happy baseball season. Great to have you back with us. Well, it's awesome to be back. I'm, I can't wait until Friday. I mean, there's so many games going on. i got to figure out how to get, the, get them all on TV. I think it's ESPN+. Plus, but I'm fired up, ready to go. Very good. I know you've been talking to coaches uh, around here and around the yeah. country to kind of get a feel for things. We just had yeah. Eric Backich, you know, 44 wins last year. They, they lose the regional at home. That was a big disappointment for them, but he sounds um, – fairly enthused about this team coming up yeah i i really uh you know when i was at liberty my assistant was nick schnobel and that's uh that's coach Backage's uh, associate head coach so i got a chance to talk to him about clemson's depth and clemson's team and and they're fired up about the program so i i don't know what coach Backage said he i wasn't listening but uh yeah, I know Coach Novel was excited about uh, having a lot of different combinations, a lot of new guys, a lot of guys that got better over the summer, some guys that got healthy. But, I mean, they got a long, big – I mean, they got a great roster of a lot of talent over there. So I think they're fired up about it. What about getting over the the bad taste of losing a home regional? I mean, I know you guys uh, won a bunch of regionals back at your day with South Carolina, but you, you came up short in some of them. Yeah. Getting over that loss because, you know, you're so close to getting to Omaha and, and then re-energizing, how difficult is that during the offseason? Um, well, I'm sure any coach will tell you the same thing. That, that was last year. They're looking forward, okay, I, Someone told me one time if God wanted you to look back and put eyes in the back of his head, so mm-hmm. he, they're going to look forward. And I'm sure this fall, you know, they're going to remember you know, this fall working out and what it felt like not to get to the Super and not to get to Omaha. And they can use that as a chip on their shoulder. All teams can. But, I mean, they had a great year. And, and Coach back this first year, they started out, I think it was 2-8 and eight in the ACC. And I, I'm thinking, you know, they're not going to have any type of season. And they just got really, really better as the season went on. That's a sign of a good coach and good coaching staff. So I think they're fired up. And, yeah, they'll use that as any any bulletin board material that you can get as a coach, you put it up there because there's a lot of programs in this state that are really, really good, and they all want to go to Omaha, and they haven't been to Omaha in a long time. Yeah. Uh, other than, I think, Coastal. And I got a chance to, to talk with uh, Coach Snow, uh yesterday the associate head coach and coach Gilmore I talked to him as well 
And I, I think they're the last team in the state that went to Omaha. That was 2016. You are correct. You are correct. One more thing on that? Clemson. Of course, they lose the the great two-way player in Grice, but they do have a player out in center field, Canarella, who's viewed as a first-team All-America. What a season he had as a freshman last year. And what about repeating when you're a freshman and you come out of the gate and you light everybody up and then you come back that yeah. sophomore year, but people now know about you and people are a little more prepared for you. I don't know. Does that play a role in how a second-year player like Ethan Petrie is probably going to have to face the same kind of thing at South Carolina? Absolutely. Yeah, them two were great last year as freshmen, and you don't you don't see guys put up them type of numbers too often in college baseball as freshmen, and they were all Americans. They're really good players. Um, I think Clemson has enough guys in the lineup around Canarella where it ain't like they're going to be pitching around them. I mean, they got guys up and down the lineup that are experienced and good players. And, and you know, as a sophomore, I'm sure the coaches will tell Petrie and Canarella this, that, you know, we've got eight other players to help you play. You stay within yourself. You know, yeah, guys are going to throw you a little bit differently. They have rap soda. They have all the shadow reports now. They have you on video. They know what you can hit, what might be your weaknesses. The, the big key is don't put too much pressure on yourself and just you got to have fun to play this game. So if I was coaching them, my advice would be just have fun and play like you know, play, play like you're in your backyard. And uh, there's some dang good players in, in the state of South Carolina right now, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. How about the kid down at Somerville? How good is he? Well, you, you would say – you know, they're all. They're, you're talking about the high school players. Yeah. Uh, yes. Was it Maldonado? Um, it's close to like Maldonado. What is his, what's his name? Uh, well, there's big, big left-handed hitter that's really good. Um, not sure what his name is, but he, you know his his little brother is really good right now. Is South Carolina's catcher uh, Cole Messina is the catcher of South Carolina, who was an All-American last year as well. And his little brother Carson. He's throwing like 97 or something like that. Mm. And he, he's at Somerville, too. P.J. Morlando. P.J. Morlando is who I'm talking about. Well, yeah, he has a chance. You know, has a chance to be a first-rounder. And uh, I don't think he uh, – you know, he may not see college, depending on what type – you know, what his family – what type of money his family has. But, he, you know, he's going to be a high, high draft pick, I would assume. Yeah. But uh, – yeah, there's there's players like that all over. I think Will Taylor over at Clemson is going to have a heck of a fall now. He's he's done playing football, and he was really sought after out of a high school. But you know he loved football, so he wanted to play both. But now that he's just concentrating on baseball, I mean that, that's a pretty good one-two punch right there, Taylor and Cantarella at Clemson. Um, so these teams, these teams are loaded. I mean, in state. Um, you know, last year three teams hosted, right? I said that all along, and I think there's going to be another three that are hosted. There might be four in the regionals, and uh, I can't tell you exactly who's going to do it, but someone out of our state is going to go to College World Series. Ooh. That way I can get there, and if I see you there, then you're going to buy me a ribeye. <laughs> so that's the game plan. Wait a minute. Okay? Am I buying you a ribeye, or am I buying you a tomahawk ribeye? Well, I, the bigger the bigger the better. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm a big guy. I need about twenty ounce twenty ounces minimum. Uh, 
All right, let's go to the Gamecocks because uh, we t- touched on Petri, you touched on Messina. Here's the question for them, for you, about right. them. I mean, are they going to be yeah. – I guess the question will be pitching because it looks like they're going to probably hit pretty well up and down their lineup, and they got to replace some arms with some young guys. What do you think about uh, what they have coming in? Well, every year, you know, pitching and defense is going to get you where you need to go. Now, this year, between Clemson and Coastal and South Carolina, you've got some really good offensive players. So they're all going to hit, and you can't win all the games 10-9. to 9, But I think, I think all three squads, you know, they're 10-12 arms deep, and it's just a matter of certain guys stepping up and having great years. And the key, as always, is just staying healthy, or at least by the middle part of the year, latter part of the year, and get some guys healthy down the stretch, uh, you know, it all comes down, you know, when you say baseball is, you know, you know, pitcher will be the, be the hitter nine out of ten times. Well, they got really good offense, and I think with, they got several, several, you know, pitchers back from last year that, that pitched well, you know, because they had so many injuries last year, but I, I think they're probably going to run out, and I know Chris Kingston will tell you this, but they'll probably run out Eli Jones on a Friday night, and he has a lot of, you know, he has a lot of uh, credentials. In fact, you know, he has a lot of experience, and he's a strike thrower. Um, I think they have a couple guys. They have a, a transfer from Chipola Junior College that sat out last year after Tommy John, the SQ kid. I think he's going to be pretty darn good. Um, he's kind of a sinker-slider type guy. Um, you know, Becker was good last year, another quality lefty. Uh, the, the kid that transferred in from Notre Dame that was hurt last year, Kimball, mm-hmm. is another guy that can, can throw innings for him. They got a freshman out of Pennsylvania. I was talking to one of their coaches about him, uh, uh, Pitzler, a kid named Pitzler, who has a really good arm, and he's only a freshman. And then, and then of course, the portal was good to him. They, they got uh, the player of the year in, in, in the CAA out of College of Charleston, Ty Good. And he's picked a ton for Coach Holbrook and, and Will Dorton over there at Charleston. And, you know, they got him in the portal. Has another year of eligibility. And they picked up a big lefty throw in 93-94 out of Liberty. Kid named Ganey. And, you know, when I was sitting down with them coaches, you know, they are fired up because they don't know exactly the rules yet. Very few coaches will know that until a month into the season. And sometimes it takes longer than that. But they had a list of 11, 12, 13 pitchers that, that could help them. They got a, a lefty 6'5 named Martin. Uh, and, and, you know, they're all the way down to talking to nine or ten, their ninth or tenth pitcher. And I said, well, you haven't even talked about Veach, who was a great closer last year. Mm. So they got him back with that change up and got a good curveball and his velo's up a little bit. And they got a kid that was transferred out of UGA named Polk who has a really good arm, but he'll probably be ready in March, probably. has a little tender, but they got transferred from Virginia Tech. That I, my kids grew up with Tyler Dean and Team Virginia, and uh, he, he throws like 96, and he's transferring in. And, and we're, you know, so you don't know exactly who's going to step up, and the key is, you know, you gotta, you got to find, you know, at least eight guys, you know, to give your main innings to. So if you start with 12, a couple get hurt, and you still have eight or nine to get through the year. 
then you're doing pretty well. Mm. But uh, I think they they like they don't know the rules exactly that these players and pitchers will have. Um, but they they do like the fact they got some good you know they got good stuff and sure. uh, you know, new pitching coach Coach Williams is very good and I, I'm sure their pitching is going to be fine. Uh, the key is to stay healthy. Sure. Just a bit outside with Jim Toman here on Sports Talk tonight, getting ready for the start of the Division One baseball season this weekend. And uh, Coach Coach Backage, and I think he was a little perturbed about it. I don't know if I want to put words in his mouth, but he was talking about the problem you have with college baseball starting in February, and it, it speaks to what you were just saying about defining roles. It's usually about into March or so. You kind of have to take it really, really slow with your pitchers in particular to get them ready for an entire season. Would college baseball, in your mind, benefit fit from a later start to the year? Well, when I was at Liberty, I was freezing up there the first four weekends. (laughs) So I I made sure to schedule. We went on a lot of road trips early in the game. And then when I was at Middle Tennessee State, them first four weekends were South Carolina, Georgia, or Florida. Because it, it is no fun at all to play college baseball in them early months. So, yeah, would I like to see that? Absolutely. And, you know, they start now middle of February. I, I wouldn't mind them going all the way all the way to March 15th, put it back a month. But then you start running into summer school. You start running into the Cape Cod League and the summer leagues that have been really good for college baseball and for pro baseball. So it's a hard thing to do, but it, it's a very minimal. They should move it back to March first. But yeah. I would be all for more than that because I, I definitely have been through enough cold games, you know. Yeah. You referenced a minute ago you've had a chance to sit down and talk with Coastal's coaching staff and Kevin Snow and uh, Gary Gilmore, who will be retiring at the end of the season. I'm guessing they bragged to you about Caden Bodine and Derek Bender and Zach Beach, what they're calling the killer bees a trio that combined for 40-plus home runs last season and almost 190 RBIs. In terms of an offensive yeah. punch for CCU, is, is, yeah. I mean, is this as good as they have had in a while? Well, they can always hit, and I know that because coaching at Liberty, I think they won about 18 in a row against me. We finally got them on one Saturday and won the tournament, but they, they're always really good offensively, and they always have good arms, and they're probably, to me, Coach Gilmore has built the best so-called um, mid-major program in the country. I mean, they, they won the national championship. They're always in regionals. They go to super regionals. They continue to keep recruiting and get good players. Now, last year, I was talking to them coaches. Of course, they're talking about all their hitters. And they ended up last year, they were fourth in the nation offensively. They scored 9.2 runs a game. Mm. And they were fourth. Well, that's great. That's last year, though. But they've got seven out of their nine hitters back. So, yes, they're going to really hit. And, you know, you've got two catchers in Bender and Bodine that one hit 19 home runs, one hit 11. I mean, they're, they're pretty good. That league has gotten really good, you know, because South Alabama's in the league, Old Dominion's in the league, Troy's in the league. They picked up Southern Miss, mm-hmm. Coastal. They were ranked last year, I think, in the RPI. You can look at it for conferences. I think I think the Sun Belt was uh, fifth in the country last year. So, and then last year, the, the strength of schedule, you know, Coach Gilmore um, 
And Coach Snall, they always want to recruit good, and that leads to they may go into conference, and they've already seen all them good pitchers. Um, and it helps to have a beautiful facility and being in Myrtle Beach and warm weather. But their their out of conference schedule last year was number one in the country. Yeah, so, that doesn't surprise. A lot of good baseball. He'll yeah, he'll, a lot of good baseball. He'll play anybody. All right, real quick, we got about a minute for you. Any final thoughts here? Uh, what did we call those last year? Tome and tidbits. Let's go through Tome and tidbits. Got about a minute. Tome and tidbits. Holy cow. Okay, well, we talked already about uh, uh, number one set to schedule last year, non-conference for Coastal, Sunbelt ranked fifth. But the, the big tidbit for Coastal Carolina is you're talking about a Hall of Fame coach, Gary Gilmore, that is winding up an unbelievable career. So hats off to him, and you know I'm praying for Gary. I hope he goes to Omaha in his last year. That would be a great way to go out. Uh, tidbit for Clemson. Uh, my butt, Nick Strobel, their, their, their associate head coach, was one of my assistants at Liberty. The guy's a stud. He's an infield guy. Last year, they, in his first year as the infield instructor at Clemson, they were uh, they they had they set a school record for fielding percentage last year. Now they've lost a lot of them infielders, but with Coach Snobble and Coach Leggett working with the infielders, I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna they're not gonna make many years again next year. Mm. And uh, their second baseman last year, you might remember the little kid Riley Bertram. Yep. He he's uh, he's an assistant coach at Xavier, who was in a re- regional final last year. So they got their hands full, and uh, their second baseman is a coach for Xavier now. So I thought that was a good tidbit. Very and you know, Jack Leggett is helping coach over there. He's on the staff, in uniform, in the dugout. And, you know, you know, you, you take over a job like that and you get Jack Leggett to help you out, it's pretty dang good. Um, <laughs> he- heck of a staff there. Uh, the last one, uh, South Carolina, they actually they scored 8.2 runs a game last year, as you know. And they were the only team in the state to go to Super Regional. Now, Monty Lee is known to be a great hitting guy. They got basically everyone back. I mean, except for Wimmer and McGillis, who was hurt, you know, a guy that broke his arm or hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. But other than that, too, they have pretty much everyone back offensively. So I think with Monty working with the hitters there, I think they're going to get after it. And I'm going to come down. I'm only two and a half hours away. I'm in Lake Waccamaw. I'm going to watch all these games. I'm going to be down and – Checking them out. I was at Coastal last week, and the week before that, I was at South Carolina. Um, but here, here's my last tidbit. I know I got ten seconds, or I'm probably over. Eight. Uh, there's going to be one, there's going to be one team from South Carolina that goes to the World Series. I don't know who it's going to be. I think there's going to be three or four in regionals, and one or two in supers. But someone is going to Omaha because Phil Cornblut is going to buy me a tomahawk <laughs> ribeye. Let's go. If that's your motivation, then let's do it. Coach, we appreciate you. We'll talk to you next Monday. Appreciate right, it, Coach. Buddy. Appreciate it, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Coach. Coach Jim Tillman, he can eat a tomahawk, too, in one setting. No, we don't have a break. Didn't we take our break last half hour? We don't have a break. We took a break last half hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Coach Jim Toman, just a bit outside. I didn't think we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We took it right before we played um, Don Staley comments. Yeah, we did. Now we'll do recruiting. See, I planned this so we'd have time to do recruiting. Time for recruiting here on Sports Talk as we thank Coach Jim Toman. 
for being with us. He'll be with us every Monday night with Just a Bit Outside. And our recruiting report here on Sports Talk is brought to you by Seawells. All right, what do we got this week, Pat? The Seawells menu for the daily luncheon buffet looks good, I'm sure. It is absolutely good. And uh, Seawells was closed today, but they will reopen tomorrow, Tuesday the 13th, and bring pulled pork, southern fried chicken, and baked flounder. Where do they get the flounder from, Corn? Congaree River. There you go. <laughs> and then Wednesday, southern fried chicken, teriyaki <laughs> glazed salmon. Where do they get the salmon, Corn? Congaree River. <laughs> and lasagna. Right around the rocky area there where you, where you do your rafting. There you the, go. The, the salmon are swim, swimming upstream. You're going downstream. That's right. And we'll bring you the last two days of the menu uh, later in the week. But uh, don't forget, Seawells, you can also get all your local farm fresh veggies, salad bar, and dessert. Okay, there's a little area of brash, uh, what's it called? Is it brash water? Brackish. Brackish. Brackish water, yeah. yeah. A little area there where a little bit of salt water is flowing through there so you can have salmon and, and flounder. And for the best in uh, the catering business, make sure you call Seawells to take care of all your catering needs, 803-771-7385, seawellscateringsc.com. Tay Harris, safety, can also play corner, but Clemson likes him, I think, as a safety out of Cedartown, Georgia. Committed to Georgia last June, but decommitted January 21st. Clemson offered the next day, and the Tigers have been moving in on him strongly ever since, and they're in good position. He'll come in for their junior day on March the 9th. He also plans an official the first weekend in June. Say he doesn't really have any top schools, but Clemson is very high, very, very high on his list. He's very good friends with Khalil Barnes, who's been telling me all kind of good things about Clemson and how they would use him and how he could come in and play early, which is his goal. He talks to Mike Reed and Mickey Kahn, and they foresee him playing in a role similar to Barnes. He made junior day visits in January to Florida, UCF, Georgia Tech. He went to Clemson for camp last summer, so he's seen the campus. He's also thinking about officials to UCF, Florida, Southern Cal, Georgia Tech, and then he'll make his decisions after his officials. Clemson target offensive tackle Mason Short of Evans, Georgia, plans to name a top four this week. Hasn't done so yet. Defensive tackle Christian Garrett of Bogart, Georgia, has set officials to Clemson May 31 and Georgia June 7th. 2026 receiver Brody Keefe of Charlotte plans to be at the Clemson Junior Day March 9th. Clemson target safety DJ Pickett. Named a top five of Georgia, Michigan, Miami, LSU, and Oregon. Blythewood defensive tackle Sterling Sanders was offered by Western Kentucky. 2026 offensive tackle Desmond Green of Timberland was offered by Oregon. And in basketball, 6'2", Sarah Strong of Sanford, North Carolina, was at USC yesterday. USC and UConn, two of the programs she's considering. She is considered the number one prospect in the 24 class ahead of Gamecock commitment, Joyce Edwards of Camden. She visited UConn for their first night celebration to open preseason practice. She is the daughter of South Carolina natives Danny Strong and Allison Feaster. There you go with recruiting. All right, real quick, have Bruce in Missouri who's been trying to get through. Bruce, thank you for your patience. We've got about 45 seconds for you. Okay, Phil, I appreciate you getting me in here today. Well, trying to get um, you on. Yep. You know, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate uh, Andy's little poking about uh, Paige Becker. Yes. Um, go back and look at the, the full um, disclosure of what 
uh, the Gamecock coaches uh, said about Paige Becker at the, at the at the press conference there at the end of the game. Uh, I've watched her all year long, and she has been just phenomenal picking up her her pace of what she was uh, winning the national uh, honor of being uh, the uh, play of the year as a freshman. And that's what I give her. Gamecock people, fans, don't know how to win, and they don't know how to lose. That's my statement. Bruce, thank you so much. Good hearing from you. With those warm thoughts to Gamecock land, we say good night. Adios. See you later. Thank you, Chris. We'll see you tomorrow. Yes, sir. Look forward to it. Thank you, Pat. We'll see you tomorrow, and we'll see all of you tomorrow. Have a great night. See you tomorrow.